The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. There is an advantage we can give our kids. Dale Atkins and Amanda Salzauer say living a compassionate life where kindness is highly valued is the key to our children's current and future well-being. Their new book, The Kindness Advantage, Cultivating Compassionate and Connected Children, provides tools for parents to teach their kids how to tap into kindness when dealing with today's hard issues. Amanda, Dale, thank you so much for talking with me today. I know that you want to work to help parents teach children to tap into kindness. Do you find that that's more important now than it has been in the past? Definitely. Uh, we, we really do feel as if it's more important now because there are so many more opportunities to be kind, and there's a lot of unkindness that is around all over the country and people are seeing it and commenting about it. And we really want to help parents find ways, parents and grandparents, to find ways to nurture and encourage the kindness that is actually in all of us. Mm -hmm. So your new book is called The Kindness Advantage, Cultivating Compassionate and Connected Children. And every parent, grandparent out there is going, yes, I want to cultivate compassion. How do we do that? So what is the kindness advantage? Well, we think that the kindness advantage is really the act of incorporating kindness into our everyday lives, which allows us to feel good, helps us feel connected to other people. And really, for so many of us, kindness can give our lives meaning in a way that very few other things can. So from our perspective, that is the kindness advantage. Mm -hmm. What were you seeing that made you want to write this book and feel like people weren't quite getting it on their own? We saw bullying. We saw uh, people in politics and in everyday life treating other people disrespectfully, not really reaching out and trying to find out who they were as people. And we saw divisiveness. And we just saw that with my grandchildren and Amanda's children and our practices and the people that we see in our lives, that we saw that people, particularly children, were not nearly as connected and didn't feel as connected with other people in the world around them as we really wanted them to be. So we found that, you know, we wanted to write a book about compassion and caring, and we wanted to write a book, first of all, about charitable children. And then it just kind of evolved into a, a book about kindness. And we, we really feel that by helping parents and grandparents and also teachers be role models for kindness, that we might be able to change what we saw. Mm -hmm. So I picked up the book and I thought, oh, this is a book for me as an adult. And I thought it was really neat because each chapter includes parts that you can read alone as an adult, a part to read with your children, uh, in an action step for both parents and kids. So it really felt much more interactive, um, something that you would use as a family than, than just a, this is my self-help book. Where did the idea for that format come from? 
<laughs> We're both chuckling a little bit because, you know, like most projects, this this has been a little bit of a journey. And um, when we started writing the book five years ago, we had a different sort of uh, format and construct in mind. And um, we were thinking that there would be two very distinct voices, one that would be the voice for parents and one that would be the voice for children. And um, while we kind of liked that idea, what we ultimately decided, and with the help of a very good editor, um, was that we wanted to fuse it a little bit more. And so although there is still a section for parents to read and a section for parents to read aloud to their child, or if you have an older child that's reading already that the child can read to him or herself, um, we wanted to make sure that families knew that this was not just for the kids. Um, and we think that it's so important to make kindness a part of your family. Um, so we really did want to include parts that were for parents, parts that were for kids, things that parents can do, things that kids can do. And then, as I'm, you know, as you mentioned, we we have in some of for some of the fundamentals of kindness, we have things that parents and children can do together. Mm -hmm. And that's really one of the messages that we want to stress is that kindness is for your whole family. We're going to talk about some everyday things you can do in a moment, but five years you worked together to put this together? <laughs> I, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe last year they decided to cook up this idea. Uh, how did this partnership between the two of you come to be? What's the relationship there? Well, the partnership came to be many, many, many years ago because we are an aunt and a niece team. I mean, oh. Anna is <laughs> That's just special to me. I just think, oh, it's a family project. How cool. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so that's really how we got to know each other. But but specifically, you know, we, we grew up in an extended family where there really were uh, values and, and uh, ideals that we really were both taught intergenerationally, obviously. And when uh, I was having this idea to write this book about charitable and compassionate children, I spoke to Amanda about it and she said, yeah, this would be a great project to do together. I was so happy when she said yes. And we, you know, with her skills as a social worker and my skills as a psychologist and both of us enjoying writing, we thought this would really be a cool project to do. And it evolved, as Amanda said, it's, you know, it, it has changed over the years. And, you know, we were both working and raising families and there was a lot going on in the five years. But we were so um, we were so gratified that it has been received so nicely now because this does seem to be a time when people are looking for ways to help one another be kind, to remind one another about kindness and its its value, not only for interpersonal relationships, but also for our own well-being and to hopefully engage a society that can be kinder and more empathic as we try to solve the problems that we have together. Mm -hmm. The world might not have been ready five years ago. Maybe it needed to come out now. Well, so, mm -hmm. it is here now, and we're <laughs> glad it is. <laughs> You're done working on it. So tell me about this, the, the children in your lives, the ages of the children or grandchildren in your lives right now, so I can get an idea of what what daily kindness with kids looks like for you. Okay, so um, I have three teenage daughters, 
and um, they are 14, 16, and 18. Oh, goodness, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have a good job, Amanda. I have a busy household. My 18-year-old is actually a freshman in college, so I have two who are home full-time and one who's in and out. And Dale has two grown sons and six grandchildren who range in age from six years old to 14 years old. Okay, so, so uh, keep us they keep us they keep us busy and they're a wonderful like a petri dish. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, this is what I'm thinking because you've been working upon this project. You've been talking about this and I'm sure that this idea of kindness and implementing kindness came about much much before any idea of a book came along. So I'm wondering, how do you think that your children and grandchildren have been affected by your intentionality about kindness? That's a really great question. And I can only guess and hope that they are using our focus on this as a model for their own experiences with their friends and within the family. I know in my case, and I believe it's true in Amanda's also, the children will come and talk about experiences that they've had where people have not been kind and where they've been in situations that have been uncomfortable. Or when we see role models in the world who are doing extraordinary things, we talk about it when, you know, both extraordinary things positively and negatively. And we talk about the fundamentals that Amanda referred to, the 10 fundamentals of kindness that we've identified. And we talk about them, not, you know, listing them and talking about them, but in the abstract and how they, how they really affect them, being respectful, being curious, you know, really asking questions, why it's important to be yourself, why it's important to share what you love to do, your passion, and how you can do that, you know, kind of do use your passion for good. So we there it is constantly um, being woven, I think, into our lives. Mm-hmm. There's an element of kindness being caught and an element of kindness being taught. But I mentioned that that I would ask you to share three everyday things you can help do to help your child become kinder. What do you see those as being? You know, I think that you the fact that you mentioned everyday things is something that's very important to us. And we really want to stress um, the idea that there are so many opportunities for each one of us as we go through our daily life to notice opportunities for kindness, excuse me, and to act on them. So I'm going to give you, you know, as you asked, three very, very simple examples. Um, One is if you're in the supermarket, especially, you know, so many of us are like dragging our kids to the supermarket after (laughs) school um, and you notice somebody struggling to reach a box or a can on a high shelf, offer to help them. Say, uh, you know, could I try to help you reach that? Something as basic as that shows your child and, you know, allows you the opportunity to notice that somebody else is, um, you know, facing a challenge as small as it may be and gives you an opportunity to help them with a solution and connect with them as momentary as it may be. Um, It's the idea of creating these connections between people throughout the course of our day. Another thing, I think we've all been in the position where 
you know, we may be running a little bit late. We are coming out of, you know, the library, coming out of our office building, and there's somebody who's, let's say, 10 or 12 paces behind us. And it would be very easy to just keep scurrying along and, you know, keep, keep going on the course of our day. But if you take those extra two or three seconds, wait, hold the door for the person who's coming behind you and greet them, whether it's with a hello or a smile. And again, it's an opportunity to notice another person and connect with them in some way. I think a third thing that we can all really practice doing um, is paying attention and listening carefully when other people are speaking to us. I think there's so many times when, you know, we're, we're distracted, but, you know, taking that minute and, you know, putting your cell phone down if you're on your cell phone, making eye contact with another person and listening carefully to what it is that they're saying to you is a third um, opportunity to bring kindness into your life on a day-to-day -day basis. I think those are such important examples because we find ourselves faced with those situations every day. And I think for myself, I can think, ugh, it's not a big deal if I don't hold the door open. I mean, they're way back there. Why bother? <laughs> but it is the <laughs> matter of, of forming a connection. And special things happen when the connection is formed. I love your idea of, you know, helping somebody reach something up high. Um, do not tell the people at Walmart, but the other day I was there and I needed something <laughs> from the very top shelf. And there was a woman who was shopping in the same aisle. Uh, we were in the housewares section. And she said, oh, you're having a tough time reaching that. And I said, I am. I'm trying to decide if I can step on this cart and reach it. And so she said, well, I'll help. And um, she came over and held the front part of my cart so I could climb up the back part of my cart to reach what I needed to reach. And we both knew that we were acting absolutely adolescent. But the fact is, we both went on and shopped for probably another 45 minutes and we kept running into each other. And every time we did, we would smile and giggle. And it was like this great, fun, new friend. And I'll never see her again. I'll never talk to her again. But in that moment, we had connection and it was and, special. Yeah. And that is special. And there are so many opportunities for those kinds of connections. And, and the one that you shared was fun and silly and helpful right? Mm -hmm. But there are also when you can, you know, when you notice someone and maybe it's someone you, you, who looks a little bit distracted and you sit next to them and you say hi, and maybe you strike up a conversation with them on the bus or you greet the people that you see over and over again, like the bus driver or a doorman in a building or the person who gives you your, your coffee when you go into your local coffee shop. These are connections that when your child sees you making them, and then you tell them what it means to you. You know, it feels so good to know the name of the person that I greet, that I see all the time. Because I think it's not only making the connection with the other person, it's also being that role model for your child of how did it make me feel also. It's nice to be able to be greeted by the person at Starbucks, right? Mm. It's nice to be able to, to feel good when you walk on the bus and, and you're recognized. These are, I mean, we are, we are, meant to be connected with other people. And with so much technology, we're often disconnected and we need to remember to look in someone's eyes. To re we need to remember to make that human connection and talk with them and listen to them, as Amanda said. And also just pay attention to what's around us. There's a woman at a local restaurant who, and I just thought of this when you said it, because it does make me feel so special. When I go to this restaurant, the minute I sit down, she goes and tells the the 
the chef, the cook, that I would like a toasted gluten-free bun with extra butter. And Isn't that great? Isn't she, that great? Yes, she has no idea that I'm going to order that, but she just remembers that I yeah. always order that. And so the last time she's, I ordered it and she goes, oh, yeah, honey, I already put it in. <laughs> you know, when, we, when we're validated for being who we are um, in, in, in the smallest ways, it makes us feel a part of something, a part of something that's larger than just ourselves. And those are the kinds of things that really matter. And there are some interesting studies that speak to, you know, people who are happier as they get older, they're happier, not because they have more material goods, but because they feel connected. And very often those connections are not just their families, but more importantly, the people that they see in their everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see somebody walking their dog and you know the name of the dog and you, and you go, how are they doing? Or you notice that the dog isn't there and you say, geez, the dog okay. That that someone notices us, pays attention, and makes us feel a part of something larger. We'll get back to our conversation with Dale and Amanda in just a moment. But first, our kindness call, sponsored by Cornwell Properties, where location matters. Hello, my name is Braylon Church from Evansville, Wisconsin. I'm in third grade. My kindness story is about my mom and my teacher. I worry a lot, and they help me by telling me um, to, like, stay positive. And, um, yeah. And so my teacher, sometimes she checks in with me, and that just makes me feel comfortable. And my mom, I just feel like she really gets me, and she is amazing. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Did you know you can be on the Kindness Podcast? Call the Kindness Hotline with your story. You can leave us a voicemail at the number in the description of this podcast. Now, back to the show. So in the home, is there a specific age that we need to start having these conversations, or (laughs) is it just go for it? You know, it's really um, as early as you can imagine, because, you know, it's not, you're not going to be having a quote-unquote conversation with an infant, but it's the way that you talk to them. It's the tone of your voice. It's that you narrate what you're doing. Okay, I'm gonna take your onesie off now. It's a little bit chilly. I hope Mm. you don't get too cold. We're gonna change your diaper and use the wipey. And, you know, and okay, let's put the dirty diaper in the garbage pail. And, you know, showing them that you see them, you respect who they are, you can acknowledge their experience. Um, and there is all kinds of really mind-boggling research, um, much of which has come out of the baby lab at Yale University. Um, and one of the studies that they have done is with babies, infants who are three to six years old. And this study shows that these babies show preference for helpers over hinderers, right? So they can recognize when somebody is in need and they prefer those people who are offering to help. Hmm. Um, so, so we know from this research and other research as well that we really are hardwired for kindness. Mm-hmm. And it's helping to um, create these opportunities for our children from the time they are baby babies and noticing it and valuing kindness within our own families. Um, So it is really never too young to start. And obviously these are conversations that we're gonna have over and over and over again. And the examples we use will be a little bit different as our children get older. Um, 
But this idea that, um, you know, we can connect with other people, we can have empathy for other people, we can be kind to other people is really the message that we want to share. And also for so many of us, um, showing kindness and being connected to people in this way helps us feel good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is this, which probably I'm sure you have experienced, many of us adults have experienced this phenomenon that's called the helper's high. Yes. So what happens is when we do something good for someone else, even if we witness another person doing a kind act for somebody else, um, there is a release of endorphins, these feel-good chemicals in our brain, and it makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. And we want to do more. We want to be kind again. So it's really these you know, using these everyday opportunities to engage in kindness that can um, lead to more kindness, that can really help create this um, tide change, which we which we hope to see in a world where people are feeling, um, you know, a wash of unkindness. These are things that you can actually do. You mentioned before actionable steps. Mm-hmm. These are things you can do, and you make it part of your daily repertoire. And you will feel and you will see how this affects the people around you. Mm-hmm. And then your own life as well. It's amazing to me. We're, yes. We are, we're getting close to running out of time, but I cannot let you off the line without asking for you to give some advice uh, based on, on your work for, let's say, fourth, fifth, sixth grade girls. I get this question a lot. Um, you know, my fourth grader has been with the same group of girls her whole life in school, and they used to all be best friends, but now this friend is pitting this friend against that one. And, you know, every mom says, you know, my daughter is kind of the the victim in this. And um, to the point where, where many times they have to involve teachers and principals and things like that. How do you help a parent walk through this this girl phase. All right. So I think as mom of three teenage girls, this one falls to me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, the first, uh, there, uh, there are a few things, that a few pieces of information that we would share. I think the first one um, is to remember that none of us is our ideal parent all the time. And especially during these trying kind of you know, preteen, tween, teen years, it's very easy for us to get angry, to get frustrated, and maybe to respond in a way that, um, you know, if we had an opportunity to sit back and think about it for 20 minutes or cool off for half an hour, we might respond differently. So the first thing I want to, you know, I really want parents to know is don't be too hard on yourself. These are really hard years for your child, and these are really hard years to parent your child through as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay if you find yourself in a situation with, you know, with your daughter or your son to say, you know what, I really want to come back and talk about this, um, but I need a little time to think about it and make an appointment, so to speak, to go back and talk about a situation later in the day. Um, or the next day. And that might give you the opportunity to reach out to another parent to maybe hear another child's perspective on what happened. Uh, You know, send an email to the teacher to get a little bit more information, that kind of thing. 
Um, I think one of the other pieces that, you, although you did not mention, I want to raise because I think it's also a factor or frequently a factor for girls in this age range is social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that we say to parents when we speak with them is as a general rule of thumb, tell your child, don't say anything, don't post anything on social media, whether it's, you know, whether it's on, you know, commenting on somebody's Instagram or over Snapchat that you would not say to somebody's face. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the things that really happens during these, you know, these years, particularly with girls to some extent, you know, but I think not as much with boys is that this feeling of anonymity, um, gives opportunity perhaps to be more unkind than we would were we face to face. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is, again, going back to the idea of empathy and trying to sort of be empathic towards your child and understand if they were the one perhaps who was unkind, what was going on for them, or to be able to sit with them and say, you know what? I know what Janie did really hurt your feelings. Could we talk about what might have been going on for her? Mm. Uh, You know, and raise the example of, you know, maybe she was upset about something that happened in the class period before you guys got out to the playground and she was taking it out on you. Mm -hmm. Or maybe she was scared about something, Um, you know, and, and, and what transpired between the two of you may not actually have had to do with you directly. So I think creating those opportunities um, for empathy, particularly when your daughter is in a difficult situation with another girl, is really valuable. Validating that they may be hurt, you know, listening and acknowledging um, their experience, but trying to help them see both sides of a situation can be very helpful in um, kind of reconnecting and mending some of these, um, you know, some of these hurts that happen, unfortunately, so frequently during these years with with girls. Mm -hmm. Great advice, Amanda. Uh, Aunt Dale, do you want to add anything to what your niece said? (laughs) Oh, how sweet. I, I do think it's important to remember that often kids say things and do things in groups that they would be less likely to do on their own. And that as a parent, it's really important to tell them that what they're doing is unkind and it's not okay. And even if they give you reasons why they, you know, they had every reason in the world to do or say what they did, I think that we can always say that it's really, that we believe in what we try to do in our family and always bring it back to our family and our values in our family is that we really don't intentionally say or do something that's hurtful or mean to another child. And even if that other child was unkind. And that's really a hard thing to process. And it's particularly hard if there's a group of kids doing something that's really unkind. Mm-hmm. But we are the anchor for our, for our children. And we need to be able to be open so that they can come and talk to us about stuff. And then we have to offer them alternatives for how to deal with the own, their own feelings and yet still be kind. And again, with girls, there's one other point. And it's that sometimes people feel that if girls are kind, then it's a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And that if people are kind, it's a sign of weakness. And we really so wholeheartedly believe that you can be assertive and you can have your opinion and you can stand up for your beliefs and you can be kind. And you can do it 
all of that in a kind way. You don't have to stoop to be insulting and disrespectful and inhuman when you are dealing with someone. And we can model it as parents, we can model it as grandparents, we can model it as teachers, but we also can start to expect it from our children. Awesome point. Awesome. Your book, The Kindness Advantage, Cultivating Compassionate and Connected Children. Dale, Amanda, thank you so much for your time today and your wisdom. Thanks for having us. That was a conversation with Dale Atkins and Amanda Salzhauer. You can learn more at thekindnessadvantagebook.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Chloe Meston. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section.